Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We're a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoy this week's message by Pastor Dwight Bennett. Everybody stand to your feet. Hold your Bibles up. Come on, stand up. Hold your word if it's on your phone. Hold your phone, whatever you got. Just hold it up. Say, this is my Bible. And I believe believe everything it says, and I choose choose to live by it, to to love it, it, to to eat it, it, and to be a part of it. it. In Jesus' name, name. amen and amen. I was thinking about the guys going to that concert tonight. Back in the day, we went to, we took the youth group to Audio Adrenaline and the Newsboys. And I'm going to tell you, it was a top five concert. And I've been to see every rock and roll band imaginable. But that concert was top five in all of my my concert experiences. So I'm believing that tonight's going to be a great experience. How many of you realize that every chance we get to encounter God is a good day? Amen. Every time we get to encounter him, it's amazing. It has been such a joy over these last three weeks to talk about God's favor uh, in the life of a believer. How many of you would agree with me that we serve an amazing God? If that's you, say amen. Amen. If that's you, say amen. amen. We serve an amazing God. He is incredible beyond anything that we can imagine or fathom. And so today I want to move forward in the series of Living the God Life. And today's message is called Finding Your Way. What on earth are we here for? I know that uh, over the last 32 years of ministry, the one thing I've probably been asked most is the question, Pastor, what am I supposed to be doing for the Lord? What am I here for? And that is a great question. It's a great question. You need an answer for it. And I got good news for you today. You're going to get an answer to that question. Everybody who wants an answer, say amen. 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 Our ultimate purpose in life is this. It's to fulfill Jesus's mission in in the sphere of influence that we have. In the place in this unique time in history that we live in. And this week's sermon is going to focus on two things, one quickly and one a little more in depth. The first thing we're going to look at is what I'm terming Jesus' fourfold mission for him to come to earth. And then the second thing that I want to focus on is how can we find our place? Now listen, how can we find our place to better serve his mission? His mission. He was perfectly clear in what he set out to do. And how many of you realize that when he went to the cross, that was not the end, right? That was just the beginning. It was the beginning of what? The New Testament church. Who's a member of that church? If you're a member of the New Testament church, say, I. Raise your right hand. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I I was going to swear you in to the New Testament church. And, you know, I'm not opposed to that. I'm not opposed to that because we need to be in the position that when God speaks to us, he encourages us that we know that it's our time to move in that direction that he's given us to work in his amazing kingdom. Listen, what an honor 
it is to be a part of a kingdom where we become friends with our Savior, we become a child of our Father, and we become more than a conqueror because of those relationships. It's in the midst of forming that relationship with God that we find who we are in Christ and what He has called us to do and be. So if you would, join me as I pray. Father, today, what a great and amazing day. And I am so glad that your breath is in my lungs. I'm so thankful that in 1983 I found you and I held on to you and I locked on to you and you locked on to me. And it's been a great ride ever since. And Father, today I pray that as we move forward in this message series on living the God life, that we would know that part of that living is doing what you've gifted and called us to do. Father, today I pray that no one after this message would be satisfied with sitting on the sidelines, but that everybody would want to get into the game and do what they do best for you. And so, Father, it's an honor to be able to speak these words and to share this message. And we pray all of this in the name of my friend, Jesus. Amen. 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 Over the last couple of weeks, we started out and talking about the, being a child of God and receiving the blessings of Abraham. We are in the lineage and the line of Abraham. And God said he would bless Abraham's family uh, for a thousand generations. The next thing we talked about is ways to gain or walk in this favor. There is a way to not only to know it, but to receive it, not only to receive it, but to walk in it. And then last week, we talked about his favor in action. We talked about the demonstration of favor that we got to see on my last mission trip uh, to Africa. And I'm telling you, the calls are coming in all, every day, all week long, about the incredible things that God is continuing to do. So we haven't even scratched the surface on our, uh, our purpose for what God's called us to to the world. But I told you there were four things that uh, Jesus did in, in showing us what his purpose would be. And I told you I'm going to go through these briefly. So number one, what did Jesus set out to do? First thing he did is he set out to make God known. And in John 1:18, the Bible tells us no one ever before gazed upon the full splendor of God except his uniquely beloved son who was cherished by the Father and held close to his heart. And now that he has come to us, he has unfolded the full explanation of who God truly is. When Jesus came to earth as man, his purpose was to show us who the Father was. And Jesus came to explain what God was really like. By doing this, he lived out the example in how he lived and what he said and what he did. Second thing Jesus set out to do was he set out to bring God's kingdom to earth. What an amazing thing that we were going to get to see the, the amazing power in heaven come to earth and be utilized for our purpose. Mark 1, 14 and 15 says, Later on, after John the baptizer was arrested, Jesus went back into the region of Galilee and he preached the wonderful gospel of what? God's kingdom. His message was this, 
at last. The fulfillment of the age has come. It is time for God's kingdom to, listen, be experienced in its fullness. No longer was there going to be a concept of who God was, what might be available. It was going to be the kingdom was coming and you were going to be able to experience it. You were going to be able to encounter it in its fullness. So he said, turn your lives back to God and put your trust in the hope-filled gospel. Jesus came to show us what God's kingdom looks like and demonstrate its power. If you read the rest of Mark chapter 1, there's seven sections in that chapter. And what Jesus was showing us was exactly what the New Testament church was supposed to look like. Please read Mark chapter 1 this week because now this is our duty to carry out what Jesus showed us to do. The third thing that Jesus set out to do was to make disciples. We know that the first group of disciples were his 12 disciples. We see in Luke chapter 10, I believe, after he sent out the 12, then what did he do? He sent out the 70. We see that in Acts chapter 1 and 2, that how many were waiting in the upper room? 120. So we see the influence and the leaders that God, Jesus was building while he was on earth grew from 12 to 70 to 120, and they're still growing today. One of my greatest honors is to be able to travel the world and impart something into God's leaders in other nations that's going to help them fulfill their destiny. So the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 4, 19 and 20, it says, Jesus called out to them and said, come and follow me and I will transform you into men who catch people for God. Immediately, everyone say immediately. Immediately, that's how quick. It didn't take them five verses. It didn't take a council meeting. They didn't have to form a committee. It says, how many of y'all know that those things just drag things out forever, amen? But the, the Bible says immediately they dropped their nets and left everything to, behind to follow Jesus. I don't know anyone in the earthly sense that I would just drop my pastorate here at Redeemers and go follow them. But there was something about Jesus that when he spoke, they got it. And that's the amazing thing about the Bible. See, we still need to be in that place that when Jesus speaks, that we choose to move. His words are still amazing, as amazing as the day he spoke them. Matthew 20, 19 and 20 goes in to say this. Now, wherever you go, this is talking about us. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, in the Holy Spirit and teach them to faithfully follow all I have commanded you and never forget as Pastor Caleb said that I am with you every day even to the completion of the age so Jesus came not only to show the kingdom but he came to activate the kingdom he came not only to activate the kingdom, but then he said, now you can do what I have done as a matter of fact John chapter 14 says When I go to be with the Father, even greater things will you do in my name. You know, when I first read that scripture, I almost thought that was blasphemy. How could you do anything better than what Jesus did? You know why you can do that? Because he's a great leader. And all great leaders train their people to do something greater than they've done in their own life. 
called the process of multiplication. It's not just enough to, to do what I do here, but I have to impart this into other people who are already doing amazingly more than I will ever do in my life. And I'm totally cool with that because that's the kind of leader Jesus was. Impart, teach, and then release. And he's telling us to go make new disciples. So the fourth thing that we see in Jesus' purpose, it was to surrender his life in service of others. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, even, for even the Son of Man did not come expecting to be served by everyone, but to serve everyone and to give his life as a ransom price for the salvation of many. The price he paid was deep, and what he paid that price to do was to give us an intimate relationship opportunity. Caleb had mentioned that earlier today. He said that uh, when I'm leaving, it's not to leave you as orphans, as the Bible says, but he's going to leave us the third part of the Trinity to inspire and empower us to do what he has called us to do. So what did he set out to do? One, share God. Two, do miracles. Three, make disciples. And four, he chose to serve others. And that's our example. So when you start in this process of, God, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? You need to focus on those four things. Because what you do is going to fulfill the mission that Jesus started. And that mission will last until the day that he returns again. And I am honored to be a part of a kingdom that has no end. Somebody say amen. 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 So let's take a look. What are the four things that we can do to find our purpose and our place in this great kingdom? All four of these things that I'm going to talk about today are personal. There are things that have happened in my life. There are, they are the ways that God brought me to the place that I am now. But these aren't super seclusive to just my life. These are things that are natural and they happen in the lives of all believers. First thing is this. Step number one, and you need to write these down. How do you find your purpose in the kingdom? Number one, trust the word and trust the process. Trust the word and trust the process. Nothing has transformed my life more than the word of God. Let me say this again. It wasn't a thousand sermons. It wasn't a hundred podcasts. It wasn't a million conferences. It wasn't a thousand classes that I've taken. It's the word of God. The word of God is the number one transformer of believers. Nothing has changed or challenged me more than the word of God. Now, one of the things that I talked about, I said, trust the word, trust the process. There is a process because when you read the word, it's absolutely contrary to everything about your flesh. And so there's a battle that's being waged for the hearts and souls of men. And that battle is waged on the battlefield of your flesh. Because this is contrary to what your flesh would like you to do, okay? So we've got to trust the word and trust the process. I'm going to tell you the number one trust issue in just a moment. The Bible tells us in Malachi 3, verses 6 through 12, it says this. 
I am the Lord, and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. How many of you love it that God has loved you even when you weren't lovable? Amen? That God loved you even before you knew him. That's how amazing he is. And he's saying in Malachi, you all have done everything you can to push me away and to, to, to do things against me, but I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to return to you. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Novocaine. Novocaine. Why do I say that? Because Novocaine, when that needle goes into your gum, it burns at the beginning. But the more they apply Novocaine to the place they're going to put a filling is the more that place just deadens. And that enables them to take a drill that goes about a million RPMs and goes, makes the craziest noise. You know, that nails on a chalkboard noise when the dent starts. Wee, 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 wee. And it starts and you don't feel a thing. See, these people didn't feel a thing. They had walked away from God, but didn't even know that they were walking away from him. And then Jesus said, should, or God said, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You cheated me of tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The number one trust issue in everyone's life when they become a believer is, will I trust God with my resources? Will I trust God in the place of giving him my tithe and offering. Now, this was a major place at the beginning of my life. I got that Jesus loved me. I got that I had to ask him into my heart for him to save me. But there was something in my heart that was still holding on to what I wanted to hold on to and not honor God with what I needed to honor him with. And I'll never forget the day when I read these scriptures at my desk at work at, at Rockwell International. And, and I couldn't believe that I was cheating God. I mean, think of the concept of cheating God. Think of the concept, another version says robbing God. And so Tammy had been asking me for weeks to, to, to tithe. And she would ask me every Sunday morning because her heart was right. It was in that place. God had already captured her. She was in the place where God could use her. But I wasn't. And so the one day when I read this, I had a choice to make. Do I trust the word? Because if I do, I'm going to have to trust the process. 
So I got to the place to where I just said, I cannot foresee me robbing from God one more day of my life. And I turned to her and I said, when she asked me, what are we supposed to give today? And I said, you give what God has told us to give. And from that day forward, it was the biggest change I had ever had in my life at that time. Now, what, what's, the, what's the process? For one, God says, when you do this, I'll give resources for God's work. See, this isn't just about us. This is about the kingdom. And when we sow our tithes and offerings into the storehouse, the storehouse can then utilize those resources for the purpose that God has called them to do, not just in the place we are, but in Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And God says, when you bring your tithe into the storehouse, you will have resources to do all of my work. The second thing that this scripture tells us is that when you bring your tithe into the storehouse, you place yourself in a position to receive great and overflowing blessings. And you don't realize that day one, when I said yes to her, I didn't even realize what that would ultimately mean for us as a family. And number three, it says this, when you bring your tithe into the storehouse, he will make sure that the enemy cannot rob you in any way of the great things that I've placed into your life. Your, your, your house, your, your crops, your abundance. Those are the things that are resources that we need to have. Listen, nothing will keep a wise believer from, from giving of tithe and offering. Now, how does this work? It works through the realm of obedience. Now, this is what I want to say to you. When you want to find out what God wants you to do, put yourself in a position that he can trust you in the same way that you can trust him. See, God knew he had great things for my life to accomplish, but until he captured my heart, he couldn't release the purpose that he had to me because it was so great that I would, if I couldn't pass this simple test, I would fail on all the other things that God had called me to do. The beginning and number one test in every believer comes is, do you trust God with your wallet? Do you trust God with your wallet? Well, I got good news for you. My wallet has never been empty since the day, even in the midst of our deepest, toughest financial times that you've heard about. We still put God first and God did what he said he would do. And in those two years, we didn't make any money. Nothing broke and the windows of heaven were open because he says, try me, try me, test me. And if it's not true, then turn your back on me. But I tried him. It was true. He did test me and he always came through. When you want to find your destiny in God, you've got to trust the process that God is going to bring you to and walk you through. And the first part of that process, I always get so quiet when, when this is discussed. It doesn't need to be quiet. It should be cheered. It should be lauded. It should be experienced by everybody because this is part of the whole deal. 
Trust the word, trust the process, and you'll, you'll find you can trust the one who is speaking to you. The word continues to transform. The, the scripture is amazing. The second scripture I want to read to you about transformation of your life through the word of God comes through John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. So this is my command. Love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. Verse 14, you show that you are my intimate friends when you obey that which I command you. Do I have to go back and reread what I read before? You show that you are my intimate friends when you read about me and you trust me and you allow me to lead you. Listen, it is so much easier in life than to get yourself out of the way and put him first and then you just follow him wherever he leads you. You read the word, you trust it. How many times do you read the word and you say, wow, I mean, I, I think Tammy's so good at that, but that's not for me. Yeah, it's for you too. And the reason why she wears it well is because she has walked through the pains of the sacrifice to get to the place to where she sees the blessing that God has told her about in the word. So transformation comes as we trust the word. You show you are my intimate friends. How many of you want to be an intimate friend of Jesus? Okay, I thought Jesus would get a standing ovation there, but I'm, I'm going to recover. I'm going to recover. Woo! You show that you are my intimate friends when you obey all that I command. I have never called you servants. Listen to this. Because a master doesn't what? Confide in his servant. If I'm going to find the place of my ultimate destiny, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to be a, a servant of God. I want to be a friend of God. See, there's difference in the intimacy of relationship. How many of you have multiple acquaintances or Facebook friends? Those are acquaintances. Until you break bread with somebody, you're, you're an acquaintance. Okay, but what he's saying is, is acquaintances will not bring you the intimacy of the depth of where a friendship can take you to. See, a friendship is where that person can know anything and everything about you and you're OK with it because, you know, they're not going to walk out on you. See, I know Jesus is not going to walk out on me. How do I know that? Because we're intimate friends. I tell you, some people just they, they have a problem grasping that as almost, you know, you, you should not call yourself a friend of Jesus because, you know, that's that that doesn't show him honor. No, that's what he says. That's what he says. You show that you're my intimate friends when you what? Obey all that I command. Now, listen to this. But I call you my most intimate and cherished friends. For I reveal everything to you, everything that I've heard from the Father. You didn't choose me, but I've chosen and, listen, everybody say this. Can we read this? 
together. But I've chosen and commissioned you to go into the world to bear fruit. There you go. When you understand the word of God, you understand that not only are you an intimate friend of Jesus, not only do you have to trust him in the process, but you're to go into the world and bear fruit. This is one of the things as a pastor that, I, I, I mean, I, I hammer this thought in my mind. I think about it always. I, I, it keeps me up at night. If we are not bearing fruit, then we're, we're forsaking the chosen commission that Jesus has given us. We've got to bear fruit. Now listen, and your fruit will last because whatever you ask of my father for my sake, he will give it unto you. So we can find our place in our purpose as we become an intimate friend with God. An intimate friend shares the deepest things of their heart with you. And Jesus, when he becomes your friend, when you get through that trust thing with your, your pocketbook, and then you become into an intimate friendship with Jesus, you're much more likely to find out what he has in store for you. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, 12 through 17. Therefore, everybody say, therefore, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are uh, of God, are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, the most intimate Aramaic uh, uh, title that you could give God. Abba, Father, he is my father. You might have heard me close my prayer today and, and I've just adjusted that just this week. We can still grow in God. But when I pray from here on out, I'm praying in the name of my friend, Jesus. He's my friend. He's my friend. So you have not received a spirit to make you a fearful slave. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, uh-oh, two pages down. See, if I'd had this on a napkin, Caleb, I would. Our heirs of God's glory. Now, listen to me. I want you to, I want you to grasp this. A bunch of years ago, I looked into this idea of being adopted children of the Most High God. And I remembered that there was an explanation of this because he's talking to people in Rome. And this is what the process of adoption in Rome was. I think you're going to love to hear this. Now, there was no process for adoption in the ancient Jewish culture, none. If a man died, his brother automatically became the head of that household. And Paul knew that. But Paul knew he wasn't speaking to Jews. He was speaking to the Romans. And so the Romans had a different concept of adoption. You are going to love this. In ancient Rome, listen to this. Adoption had a powerful meaning. 
When a child was born biologically, the parent had the option of disowning the child for a variety of reasons. How many of you have got to where your kids are five or six and they do that craziest thing that you can't imagine and you realize the warranty is up? Hallelujah. You realize you can't take them back. You try, you beg God, but he says, nope, the warranty is up. You can't return these children, but they could. The relationship, therefore, was not necessarily desired by the parent, nor permanent. Now listen to this. Not so, however, if a child was adopted. In Rome, an adopted child meant that the child was freely chosen by the parents, desired by the parents. Come on now. Whose child are you? Who chose you? Hello. That child would be a permanent part of the family. Parents could not disown a child they adopted. An adopted child received a new identity. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Behold, all the old things pass away and everything becomes new. Listen, any prior commitments, responsibilities, or debts were erased. New rights and responsibilities were taken on. Also in ancient Rome, the concept of inheritance was part of life. Not something that began at death. Being adopted made someone an heir to their father. Joint shares in all of his possessions and fully united to him. Think what this means for us as Christians. Rather than diminish the beautiful reality of being children of God through creation, Paul's theology of spirit adoption essentially doubles up on the power and significance of God's fatherhood. It is a constant reminder that we are fully desired, fully loved, and that we have taken on a new identity through Jesus, that we were created for heaven, but not now, but we are heirs to God and co-heirs with Christ. Now, how does that feel to be adopted by God, knowing how Rome viewed adoption? Once Jesus says yes Once you say yes to Jesus, you become fully adopted. All of that old stuff, he just forgets about it. He lets it go. He doesn't think of it anymore. You come into a new place and everything that the Father has for you, you are now a co-heir. Never to be returned. Come on, somebody. That is a great place to be. Why do you need to know that if you're seeking your purpose? Because you have to know that a close friend is leading you and that a father is watching over you. A close friend is leading you and a father is watching over you. The third thing about the word. See, the word is powerful. I don't know about you, but when I look into the mirror, I am a son of the Most High God. Amen? First John 5, 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah is God's spiritual child and has been fathered by God himself. And anyone who loves Father God loves his children as well. This is how we can be sure that we love the children of God, by having a passionate love for God and by obedience to his commands. True love for God means obeying his commandments. And his commandments don't, listen to this, weigh us down as heavy burdens. 
See, this is when you know your relationship has been transformed and you are not the old person, you're a new creation because the things that you used to think about you could never do for God, you weren't worthy enough or you were too much of a sinner. Now, those same commands as you build this relationship, they don't weigh you down anymore. As a matter of fact, you have learned uh, in, in session A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all of the great things, you've passed those tests. And now when session H comes up, it is no longer a heavy burden to you, but it becomes an honor and an excitement for the next place that God is leading you to. See, this is how the relationship builds and your purpose becomes more clear to you. You see, every child of God overcomes the world. For our faith is the victorious power that triumphs over the world. So who are the world conquerors defeating its power? Those who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, when you learn those scriptures, you are in position to receive orders now. You're in the place to where you've settled all of the stuff that could hold you back, and now you're in position to receive. You're in a place where as a friend, a child, and a conqueror, you're ready to receive your marching orders. Number two, in how do you find your way? You say yes. You say yes. You gotta measure where you're at in the kingdom of God. What are you doing for God? What are your assignments? What are you positioned to do? What have you placed yourself in the middle of to be able to grow to that next place? Saying yes. In, in 1984, I said yes to tithing. It was the biggest change that I've ever made. It was a destiny uh, a starter for me. God knew he could trust me. Once he had my heart, until he has your wallet, he doesn't have your heart. I'm just telling you. When he has your wallet, he has your heart. And then when it came in 1977, 87 or 88, Pastor Jarvis asked Tammy and I to teach high school Sunday school. And it was Pastor Willard seeing a gifting in us and then offering us a place to serve. In two weeks, we wrestled back and forth until my wife finally said, if Pastor Jarvis wants us to teach Sunday school, why are we even thinking that? He's our pastor, he's our oversight, and we should say yes. And, and so we went back in like a dog with a tail between our legs. I was embarrassed that it took me two weeks to just say yes to the, I was already coaching kids. I love kids. I was an uncle when I was eight years old. I paraded my second grade class around Michelle's crib, my, sis, my sister's daughter. Dude, I was a stud at eight years old. I was a man at eight. I was an uncle at eight years old. I loved kids always. And Willard knew that. And it took me two weeks to say yes. And when we said yes, I'll never forget the first Sunday was down at Columbus Christian School. A whopping three kids showed up. And my first message was on humility. And it had nothing to do with them. It had everything to do with their teacher. And there was a part of me that was sharing my heart and busting myself out in this humility message. So they would just see me wear my sleeves uh, uh, out uh, or my life out of my sleeves. Within one year, we had 34 kids coming 
to either Sunday school class or uh, our house. Our house was full of kids all the time. And see, just by that one yes, God was releasing something to me that was going to take me to my ultimate destiny. The next thing that happened was is we decided to take 12 of these kids all the way to Dallas, Texas on a Greyhound bus. My daughter puked on me in the middle of the process on a Greyhound bus. And we went into the Greyhound station with puke all over my shirt. And I thought, this could not be God. First of all, what was I thinking in taking Greyhound? Second of all, why would I take a, a six or eight month old on this trip? And it was like crazy. But in the midst of that trip, eight out of those 12 kids got on fire for God, got filled with the Holy Spirit. Many of them are in ministry to this day. There was such a change in them. When we came back to the church, pastors started getting calls. We need a youth pastor. You need to hire this guy, you know. And I'm like, well, don't volunteer me. I got a great job making a lot of money. I don't need any volunteer help. But that's what happened next. So pastor talked to me, said, would you be willing to do this? And see, because back here I passed the, wa the wallet test. Right. See, you got no idea why you're passing the test that you've got to take. I passed the wallet test in 1984. And in 1988 and 89, when we had $10,000 and $11,000, I already knew the God that transformed my heart there would be the God that protected my storehouse. Anybody with me? So when it came time to accept the job at Redeemers, and I don't say these figures because I want to embarrass Redeemers Church. This is, this is about us. This isn't about them. All they did was give me an opportunity. I could have said no. So they brought me before the elders. I went through this kind of, I'm a cocky business guy headed to the top. It's like, hey, I can take care of this job. I can do this. No problem. You're probably going to offer me 50,000 bucks because I am so amazing that there's no way you'd let me pass you by. You know, still working on the humility part. So they called me at McDonnell Douglas after the elders meeting. It was about 8.30 at night. And they said, hey, we'd like to offer you the job. We'd like to offer you $19,000. And, uh, and so you just let us know. So I hung up the phone. I called Tammy. I said, hey, you're going you're gonna to love this. She goes, did you get a call? I said, you bet I did. She said, well, what'd they say? I said, she said, I said, they offered me the job. And she said, well, how much are they going to pay us? And because, and see, us was uh, our mom staying at home because we chose to raise our kids that way. It's not a guilt if you didn't. It's just what we did. And so I told her, they offered us $19,000. I was making $43,000 at that time. And Tammy said, what are you going to do? She was testing me. And I said, I'm going to take it. She goes, that's exactly what you need to do. It's exactly what you need to do. Gave up my wallet. It was yours, God. Rockwell paid me well, but they're not my source. See, when I was laid off and painting... They weren't my, that 10,000 bucks was not my source because my God said he can protect everything that comes into my house. By the way, we never missed a tithing check when we made 10,000 and 11,000. First thing we did was tithe. 
And so then we get into this place of night. See, all these yeses brought us to the place of promotion in the kingdom, of doing the things that God called us to do. So how many yeses can a guy make? Well, one Sunday school, 1990, I said yes to the job. 1997, I said yes to a mission trip in the Ukraine when I had a deathly, uh, terrible fear of flying. But I said yes. Why? Because when I've said yes in the past, it all worked out. So 1999, I said yes to going to Cuba, uh, a, a nation you go to and you can get fined $50,000 if you uh, come back and you have a stamp in your Cuban passport. And uh, you have to tell them, no say you, don't stamp my passport, so they you know, act like they do. And in 2002, I said yes to my first trip to Africa. You see, every time you say yes, it opens up something else. Right. What do you need to say yes to? What do you need to say yes to? You know, a lot of times when people tell me, well, pastor, I just don't know what God wants me to do. I, I, I know they hate me when I say this. I said, just do something. Do anything. I have two or three toilets that I know need cleaned. I got trash that needs taken down. I got uh, chairs that need cleaned with a, a, a do something. Can you just do something? Amen. Do anything. Just do something. Why? Because your yes starts the process. Mm. The third thing that opens up the idea to finding out what God wants you to do is your life experience. So let's watch a video here. I interviewed Bishop Godfrey in Uganda and asked him, why do you do what you do? So Bishop, I was uh, curious and wanted to know, how did you develop your heart to have a love for people like you do to take care of them? Well, Jesus is making me grow. Um, my baptism was when I was born in poor family. And when they were, they were growing up, there were people who came to me, and one of them was the Roman refugee. These are the Roman refugees who came, uh, who fled from one in the Philippines, and those were Christians. So that guy, gentleman, helped me. Even paid school, my school fees for primary education. So from there, when uh, I was here, I grew up praying that if God places me, as Gary said, if you are prepared to enlarge my boundaries, if you would enlarge my boundaries me, and bless me, that's why I said when I grew up that I should help the refugees because I was also helped. Mm. And God has used me to help so many refugees in Catholic And that's why I started Angel's Day School. Well, we started with five kids, and now we have one other kids. And I've been helping, with, helping them with my personal uh, food. I grew at home with my wife. We bless them, and I also get friends from America, from Canada, who started with us to raise up these children and also have a clinic, a new clinic that has saved lives of many refugees and Ugandan community here in Chattanooga. Okay, so we're also here at what is the medical hospital for the entire camp. And uh, uh, there's not any dental place here. And so when they have dental issues, they send them to the 
saw some attorney boards and some other different things, and uh, it's quite a uh, sight to see all the people being helped here and the work that's being done. Okay, so what, by the way, this man is amazing. I mean, not a little amazing. He is all, all that in a box of chocolates amazing. What made him who he was? Life experience. Life experience. Where were you before Jesus found you? Were you as a mess as much as I was? I mean, were you? Were you as much a mess as I was before Jesus found you? The life experience that Bishop is talking about there is a, me- a guy that had a mess in 1955, a refugee that located, relocated to where he lived, then saw this young boy who was in a poor family. You don't get any poorer than a refugee. And this poor guy helped this poor guy. Come on now. I get so tired of when people say, you know, if I only had more of this or more of that, just give up Starbucks for a week. Save that money and give it away. You will be so thrilled with the way you feel. Cook at home. God knows food's out of this world right now, but relax. Our God's got it together. You don't have to get worked up about it. God knew it. He's got you under control. So this guy gets school fees paid for, gets his education. This guy is brilliant. He's probably the best administrator I've ever met anywhere. Uganda is going to blow up like Burundi did in no time. This guy is connected in three different nations. And you know what? He said, I started out angel care with 35 kids. He said yes to, to 35 kids. Now I saw there, and he's got 1,050 or so kids. It grows all the time. You know why? Because everybody in the refugee camp wants to be at his school. Why? Because it's amazing. Why? Because it's ran by a guy who said yes. We have $1,000 invested in that school and in that clinic. No other clinic? No dental? No dentist? For 100,000 people, but the guy that said yes, he has a dentist that comes three days a week. He has a doctor that comes three days a week. They're going to expand the rooms. There's four rooms people can stay in with 10 beds in each room. No, eight beds in each room, packed in like sardines. He's going to add the next wing. going to be a maternity thing. He's got an x-ray machine. He's got a blood spinner. What do you call that? He's got a centrifuge. He's got a dentist chair. And I w- I'm telling you, it's unbelievable what happens when you say yes. And in your life experience, what happened to you or in you that somebody stepped up just to be a part of you? Man, I had families that took me to all of my sporting events. My dad and mom didn't take me. Other families took me. Man, I, I never forget that. And when and it's time to take somebody else, That's right. we, t- we pick them up. Right. You know why? Because I know what it's like. That's right. I know what that's like. Bishop knew what it was like to be. He's built five houses for uh, uh, widows and single moms only. Widows and single moms only. Why? Because somebody changed his life. 
and then he turned it around to change somebody. Did, 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 God, did God have to say, okay, Bishop, this is what you're going to do. You're going to have an orphanage. You're going to start with 35. No, he just said, I just wanted to help because somebody helped me. Take what's been done for you and find somebody to help. Find somebody to help. Do something for someone. Do something for someone. Philippians 4.9 says this. Put into practice the example of all that you have heard from me or seen in my life. And the God of peace will be with you in all things. The Apostle Paul told the church in Philippi. Put into practice my examples. Just one at a time. Just do something good for somebody, just one thing at a time, and it becomes contagious. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 19, bear with me. It says, brothers and sisters, we instruct you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to stay away from believers who are unruly, who stray from all that we have taught you. For you know very well that you should order your lives after what? Our example." Because we were not undisciplined when we were with you. We didn't sponge off you. But we worked hard day and night to provide our own food and lodging and not be a burden to any of you. Do you think we charge a dime at Harvest Prep for all the people we go help? Not a dime. Nobody pays our hotel. Nobody pays our airline tickets. Nobody pays for our food. Because we, do, we learned from the Apostle Paul's example. For when, you, when we were with you, uh, we instructed you with these words. Anyone who does not want to work for a living should go hungry. Now we hear rumors that some of you are being lazy and neglecting to work. That these people are not uh, busy, but busy bodies. So with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, we order them to go back to work in an orderly fashion and exhort them to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, don't ever grow weary in doing what is right. Take special note of anyone who won't obey what we have written and stay away from them so that they would be ashamed and get turned around. Yet don't regard them as enemies, but caution them as fellow believers. Live by the life experience and the examples that others have set for you. And number four is this. There's something about the power of spiritual gifts and the gift of prophecy. Spiritual gifts and the gift of prophecy. You know, every fifth Sunday, we put out a sign-up sheet, and we have trained people for how many years now, Betty? Is it like 15? Could we be that old? I know you're not. I know you're just young and chipper and spry, but I think I'm growing up. It's been at least 10 yeah, I think 10 or 15 years that we have set out to train people to hear God's voice and be able to share that with other people. God uses others to speak into our lives. In 1988, the prophetic word came into my life that said you're going to be overseas and back again, overseas and back again. Words encourage our faith. I can guarantee you if I wouldn't have had that word, I would have never got on that airplane in 1997. You see, there's something about a prophetic utterance that brings a faith inside of you so deep that not even the gates of hell or Satan himself can dissuade you 
from where you need to be. So often prophetic words lay dormant in people's lives. They're on your shelf. You've had them before. You know they're right, but you can't get to the place where you trust the process. That's part of the process. Part of the process is God loved you enough that he gave that to you. John chapter 16 says this of the Holy Spirit, that I give you the Holy Spirit because there's knowledge that the Holy Spirit has that will help guide you in your future. Listen, why do you think so many people want to dissuade other people about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? No, number one, they, they, they fear what they don't understand. And number two, the enemy knows that if you knew what was coming, so don't let the Holy Spirit lead and guide you because he's going to tell them to go around the pothole and not go over the pothole. Prophetic word, spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit coming into your life makes a big difference. Why did Paul say this to Timothy? In 1 Timothy 1.18. So Timothy, my son, I'm entrusting you with this responsibility. Everybody say that word, responsibility. In keeping, listen, what was the responsibility? In keeping with the very first prophecies that were spoken over your life. Gosh, Tammy, I, I don't know if 88 was the first. I think, it, I think we might have had something before that spoken over our lives. But I tell you what, we've held fast to those for all these years. We have stacks of them that we go back to and we allow them to speak to our life. The first prophecies that were spoken over your life and are now in the process of fulfillment in this great work of ministry. In keeping with the prophecies spoken over you, with this encouragement, use the prophecies as a weapon as you wage spiritual warfare by faith and with a clean conscience. For there are many who reject these virtues and are destitute of true faith. Such as these two guys he mentions there who have fallen away from the gospel. Judy, can you prepare the next video? Everywhere we go, we speak prophetically to people. Why? Because it, it strengthens them. Right. Why? Because it encourages them. Why? Because there's stuff that's happened in people's past that only God knows. That when you call it into a place prophetically, their faith goes to a whole nother level. And so let's take a, a quick look and we're almost finished. Promise. Come on. And I'm feeling a 
Hallelujah. I mean, come on now. Now, I was just in the middle of our facilitator training, and God just said, I have a word for this man. I didn't, I didn't hear it already. I wasn't predisposing it. But I just said, uh, sir, what was your name again? Simon Peter. I said, Simon Peter, God's been showing me while I've been teaching that you have a serious confidence problem and that this is not something that just happened. It happened throughout your life, and you've been told you're no good. You've been told you can't make it. You've been told you're not worthy. But I'm here today to tell you that that's not the way God sees you. And I'm telling you what, a guy who was sitting like this sat like this the whole rest of the day. And now he's going to go back. He's going to start one of the schools, and I'm telling you, this guy's going to do an incredible job. You know, he said yes, but he still had issues. But you know what? In the middle of our yes, God brings us across our path, everyone we need to get us to the next yes. Let me just ask you today to be honest with yourself. How many of you have prophetic words that are still just laying there? You've kind of given up on them. You, you've, you've kind of said, wow, um, I, I just can't even see myself in that. How many of you would say today that you've, this has been your question? What, what am I supposed to do, God? Why am I here? And you haven't answered that yet. How many of you today would say, Pastor, I want to make an impact for God? If that's you today in any one of those three categories, I'd just like you to stand right now because I'm going to pray for you that God is going to give you an anointing to say yes He's going to give you an anointing to trust the process. He's going to give you an anointing to have that excitement and that exhilaration to do what God has gifted you to do. If that's you, I just want you to stand. You say, Pastor, I want to make an impact for the kingdom of God. If that's you, just stand. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for all of these who are standing today. Father, I thank you, God, for all the circumstances and situations that their life has been in and through. Father, I thank you, God, that we know it's through the life experiences that you've given us. Some of them hurt extremely bad. 
But those experiences can bring us to the place to where our yes will lead us into that place of doing what you've called us to do. So, Father, today, I pray for a new trust, a new trust that would be in you, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our friend. Father, that there would be a new trust that as they read the word, that they would see what you're asking of them and they would say, I'm going to say yes and go through the process. Father, I thank you today that I know this is a church of destiny and nobody passes in and through the doors of this church that you're not trying to push them toward what you've gifted them to do for your kingdom. So, Father, today, I pray, God, in all of these areas that you would give us the desire to say yes, that you would uh, uh, enlighten us, God, to the process of how life experiences can open up doors for us. Father, I thank you, God, that it is in this idea of who you are that we become who you've called us to be. And I thank you, God, that we can have a fresh revelation of being your friend, Jesus, your child, Father, and that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And Father, in all the places that the enemy has diminished faith, I break that in Jesus' name. Jesus' name, I break the power of the enemy that has come to discourage people from moving to the place of their destiny in your kingdom. Jesus, we thank you for the example that you gave us. And today we choose to say yes to you in the process and the adventure that you have for our lives. And Father, today, I just give you praise. And I thank you that we can live the God life with the favor that you pour out upon your children. And we just thank you for this time this morning. And we give you praise. In the name of my friend, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Can we give the Lord a praise offering today? I just am so encouraged to know that you are going to do something great for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Go in peace and may the glory of the Lord shine upon you this week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.